0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Channel Chasers, a podcast all about marketing the dealer channel. We will cover everything from traditional marketing to all things digital, and everything in between. I'm your host, Blake DeLager. In this episode of Channel Chasers, we are talking with Madison Kwame, PR and social lead, and Chelsea Stoa, senior PR and social strategist. In today's episode, we are talking about building brand credibility and consistency, understanding your audience, and unifying PR and social media practices. Let's get started. Welcome to the Channel Chasers Pod. To start, can you guys uh, describe your current role and what is your background in marketing as a whole?
1: First, thanks for having us. We're super excited to be here. Um, I'm Madison Kwame, and I lead our public relations and social media team. I've been at Flint about five years. Um, most of my time has been in either manufacturing or healthcare marketing. It's about a 10 to 15 year career as I'm trying to do quick math, but dabbled in a little bit of everything from internal comms external public relations social media and everything in between
0: awesome
2: my name is chelsea stoa and i am a senior public relations and social media strategist here at flint group Um, i work directly on the agco dealer uh, marketing channel and my background uh i have kind of an array of background in marketing i've been in marketing for gosh now probably 10 15 years I guess I don't know <laughs> doing the math here um, I've done sports marketing in PR and media relations um, I've been in the airline industry doing PR and media marketing um, and then I've been at Flint Group for almost or for two and a half years now so I um, worked on Co for the entirety of my um, duration here
0: awesome so as you guys Campbell kind of both already stated you're in the the PR and social media realm um, I guess just to take it back for people who might not be overly aware with the marketing terms like PR, et cetera, could you guys describe like what is PR or what is social media strategy like kind of holistically?
2: Yeah. So uh, basically public relations uh, is really just to maintain kind of the public perception of a brand and uh, making sure that I love Madison's uh, analogy of the bank. Um, so if you want to go for it, go ahead and say that.
1: Yeah. So public relations, I like to equate to a bank of public perception. So when you're doing good things as an organization, you want to put as many good deposits into that bank account so that you have a high balance with your audiences and with your publics and stakeholders. So that if something bad does happen, you have that high balance where you can make a withdrawal and still have a positive brand equity, right? None of us want to have a negative number in our bank account. And I think when we equate it that way, it makes sense why we're trying to answer amplify the good things that we're doing. So whether it's charitable contributions um, or anything business-wise, maybe you opened a new location, you have an event, um, you're trying to collaborate with some someone or something in the community. All of those things build your brand equity and this allows you to have that high bank account if you ever need it in the future.
0: That's a really smart analogy. Like it really like breaks it down for everyone. Did you come up with that or did you hear that from someone in your ten, fifteen years of experience?
1: <laughs> I'm sure I heard it at some point. I don't I, I just think it's the most clear-cut mm-hmm. way for you to understand it from an individual perspective. Cause I think PR is really um kind of abstract to people. It's tricky to understand and a lot of people boil it down to a press release and reaching out to media and whatnot. And there is like that's a component of it, but there's more to it beyond just press releases. It's all of those good things that you're doing in a community.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that one. I mean, I've only been in the marketing world out of college two and a half years roughly, and that's definitely what I thought it was. But it kind of really is a all-encompassing term that kind of can mean many different things all at once.
1: Absolutely. You can be looking at changing perception. You can be looking at, you know, we even get into some clients that are trying to lobby different legislators or whatnot. And it, it's all of those things. And I think, too, a good way of
2: looking at it is when you're um, building up those, like she said, those deposits, when something bad happens in terms of like a crisis or things like that, you have that relationship with the media, the relationship with your stakeholders and your clientele and things like that so that they trust you and they trust your brand. And those types of things so that when you do have those issues arise, you're able to continue those relationships. And then I think the social media component comes in um, just to be as a way to amplify those things that you're doing in the community, a different way to connect with your customers and, again, your stakeholders. Um, I think, again, like I said, the crisis component is a really uh, a thing that we run into more and more, especially just well, with how accessible brands and people are these days, um, I think it's really important to really build up, you know, your brand in different ways. So I think that's something that we focus on here a lot at Flint, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, we really view social media as a function of public relations. So your PR efforts and your social media efforts are really complementing each other and working in unison to tell the same story. And
2: yeah. I'll just add, too, just uh, as a little bit of background on on me, I actually, uh, when I said I worked in sports, so I was at Michigan State during the Larry Nassar trial, which was pretty intense. So I got to learn a lot uh, firsthand firsthand. Uh, at a very low level. So I wasn't, uh, you know, on the front lines there, but got to learn a lot kind of on crisis communications and what, not, what to do and more so, honestly, what not to do in those situations. And then I was also at the airline industry during COVID. So got to learn kind of crisis communications there too. So um, it's been kind of fun to be, be able to learn those things and learn different things to take away and um, different ways to really promote your brand during a crisis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to take that and segue into one of our first main points I want to talk about with you guys today is building brand credibility and consistency. So what does it mean to be credible and consistent? Why is it important? I feel like the obvious answer is it is important, but maybe you guys can enlighten me and the listeners on why it is.
1: So. As we talk about PR and social media, so often they get lumped in with maybe a a spin doctor, right? Like people come to us and they say, make it go away. And that's really not what this industry is about anymore. The first thing that I tell folks is, be as transparent as possible because it's all going to come out at some point. Um, It doesn't matter how many NDAs you sign or how many people that you think are in your corner. Being credible comes from being honest and transparent. And there are ways to position it. Oftentimes business decisions, um, there's a reason behind it and being really clear about what those business decisions are help with some of that transparency. But it's definitely important to be credible, and the, the second that you start hiding things, you lose that credibility and the internet never goes away. Like it's completely changed. We used to live in a news cycle where you had a six o'clock news and that's really the only time it got talked about. And that's not a thing anymore. It's a 24 hour news cycle and the internet makes it so that people can access whatever information they want about your brand really most of the time um, at any time. So being thoughtful about what's going out so that it doesn't um, age poorly. We've mm-hmm. all seen some of those tweets. Yeah. So just being really thoughtful about that when you're thinking about brand credibility.
0: I think mean, that's a great point because like you said, the internet is forever. So even if something's going on and it might not be, you might not be seeing the immediate reactions to people, It it's going to be there. In weeks or months following, They might someone might stumble across the wrong tweet or the wrong article. And then all of a sudden, it re-comes to light. So the whole act of getting ahead of it and figuring out, how to approach it versus reacting to or cu- trying to cover it up.
1: Absolutely. And having a strong brand that's established and then sticking to that brand. So those, you know, so often brand values hang on a wall and no one looks at them again. But the more that you live those values, the easier it is to have kind of a guiding light as you're looking at what content to put out and so that you don't have those moments of, ah, oh, I wish that wasn't on the Internet and we can't get rid of it.
2: Yeah. And I think, too, building off of what Madison said, this is where the social media aspect comes in, in terms of not only customer service, but customer care. So really looking at connecting with your customers on social media. So if there are issues or problems or if they're coming to you on social media with questions on, you know, how to fix a piece of equipment or if they're coming to you with a complaint or things like that, um, not just answering the question by saying, hey, here's a number you can call, but actually taking the time to care for them and really let them know that there's a human behind the computer and that you actually care for the customer and not just you're not just saying things to say them, but that you actually care. So I think that's really a huge component and a big opportunity for people to take too, to really set yourself up for success and set yourself apart from your competition as well.
0: So I guess when the inevitable happens, when something bad might happen with your employee or something with a brand that you're currently selling or X, Y, or Z. Uh, When facing a crisis, what is the key to maintaining a positive image?
2: So I think, you know, like Madison said, really being transparent, that's huge. Um, Being communicative with both your stakeholders, your employees, um, making sure that you're having those communications, those conversations, those meetings, and then being as transparent as you can with the media and your stakeholders there too. So making sure that you're having those conversations. And even if the answer is, hey, you know, we, we aren't able to answer that question at this time, we'll be able to communicate that in the future or there's legal around, you know, if there's legal ramifications behind there's certain things you can't communicate them at this time, just making sure that you're communicating with those people. I think the more communication you can
1: have, even if you're not saying much
2: of anything, is better.
1: Yeah. And I think just to add on to that, oftentimes we think about crises as a fire or someone dying or something big like that. But there are opportunities for reputation management that are a lot smaller and more day-to-day that As folks on a channel, you can control a little bit more. So like maybe you have a a part that you're seeing is maybe failing more often than you'd like it to. Or maybe your phone lines are down. So it's not offering that customer experience. If you're able to communicate those effectively. So maybe it's putting a post out on social media to say, hey, our phone lines are down. You know, you're going to have to email us. You're going to have to live chat us. Whatever whatever that other form of communication is. It doesn't always have to be this huge crisis where you have an opportunity to manage your reputation and, again, put those positive bank deposits in so that if people are feeling frustrated, they're not taking out too much, if that makes sense.
2: And I think that's a really good point, too. There are different levels of a crisis. A place I worked, there was a... "Quote unquote crisis where we had a goose problem. So there was a lot of geese on our property and we had to chase them away. And that became the top story. And so anytime you would Google our company, that was the top story on Google. And so that became a crisis for us because that's obviously not the top thing that we want our company known for. And so we had to do some crisis management because Anytime we're Googleable, we want to make sure that that is the lowest thing on Google when you Google that company. So things like that, too, you know, you want to make sure that you are working with your stakeholders to take down that level of threat, too.
0: What a small town Midwest problem <laughs> <Right? laughs> where that's the headline. <laughs>
2: right. Very, like I said, very wide range of, of uh, quote unquote crises. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so what are some of the most common challenges you see dealers face when it comes to PR slash social and what could be a solution to that?
2: I think just not fully grasping different ways that you can utilize or capitalize on different things. I know I've gotten the opportunity to go and visit um, quite a few dealers in the last few months, which has been really awesome to get some face time with them. But even things like anniversaries being around for 50 years 80 years 85 years 100 years whatever it may be or having four generations five generations of ownership within the family different things like that I think are really huge and a lot of people don't realize how big of PR and newsworthiness is behind these types of opportunities so I think you know if there's an opportunity for even like a logo redesign like things like that, those are opportunities to write a new press release on or pitch to local media, having open houses, things like that. So I think just not looking at all these different opportunities and events and things that people are doing and being able to really capitalize on those and and use those for good.
0: I have to imagine that anything that's dealer specific is going to go a, a long way in the public eye, whether it's a new employee or a, like maybe it's a member feature Monday or the new Massey sprayer just hit the lot and stuff like that. That that content seems to go 10 times as far and more engagement with the community than some, I guess, generic mm-hmm. posts.
2: Right. Or even like if there's a guy who has a Massey from 19 whatever, you know, and he's got this really cool old piece of equipment that wants to show up. I mean, that even stuff like that, that's really cool content.
1: Yeah. I, I think when you talk common challenges, it's tricky When we're talking a sales funnel, PR is very much at the top. It's an awareness tactic. It's really hard to connect a PR effort or something that you're doing from a PR standpoint to a conversion because we're just trying to get our names in people's lives, whether it's in a magazine, on their evening newscast, whatever it is. So we understand that from a common challenge. And what Chelsea just described is exactly right. Like there's so many good things that dealerships are doing in their community whether it's they've been a really long-standing partner in the community or maybe they're doing a toy drive or a food drive or things like that we know that there's a ton of good going on and it's just a matter of talking about it and I think the beauty of this industry and also sometimes the downfall of this industry is that we're really humble people and it's hard for us to talk about the good things that we're doing so it's easier sometimes for someone else to come in and be like that's a really big deal like Let's talk about this. Let's amplify it. And if you're not thinking through the lens of the bank account, it makes it a little trickier.
2: Yeah, I love that idea. And even like you said, with the toy drive, um, a dealer I visited close to Christmas, they were doing a toy drive for local kids. Another one had a really cool thing. And this might not be PR worthy, but this would be something cool to promote on social media where they were saying, come trade in your your hat um, that's branded with a different name brand of tractor equipment, and we'll give you a Massey hat in exchange. So something like that, that's really cool. And that's a cool social media campaign that you can run too. That's something just to keep in mind different ways and opportunities to promote not only your brand, but also your tractor line as well.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes people forget or feel uncomfortable with being like their own cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Like you you should be wanting to showcase all these awesome things that you might be doing at your dealership. And I've heard countless times that dealers are like, we did this event or this and this is happening. And I snapped a picture of it on my phone, but then that photo never like saw the light of day. So a lot of time dealers are sitting on this mountain of content that would be great to start utilizing. So definitely encouraging them to either send it to us here at Flint and we'll mock up a post for you or, or taking a stab at themselves. And oftentimes I think something is better than nothing. So just, Posting it is better than, again, sitting on it and it becoming not useful anymore.
1: Absolutely. And we talked about transparency. Authenticity is a huge thing on social media right now. Mm-hmm. Like people want to see the quick phone grabs, you know, try to keep a finger out of the lens or whatever it mm-hmm. is. Right. But they want to see what's r- real time and what's happening. They don't need a, a super polished finished product all the time. Mm-hmm.
2: And I think even just I know we're kind of building on that a lot, but I think even if you have a service guy who's been there for 40 years or things like that, just different ways that people could connect with people at your dealership. And the more faces that you can show, Mm -hmm. the more people are going to feel like they really connect to your brand and to your people. And they're going to feel more comfortable coming in and being like, hey, I saw Bob on your Facebook page or I saw him, you know, wherever. And I really want to work with him on X, Y, Z. So I think just doing those types of things are going to really help promote your brand as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I know all the service folks out there love being in front of the camera, but yeah. it'd be, it's worth putting them through that 30 seconds of uncomfortable or pain just to snap a picture of them working on a piece of equipment or a quick headshot, and it can go a long way.
2: And although they might like not like it, their family will love it, and they will share it, and it'll get lots of traction. And at
0: the end of the day, you're the boss. So.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're the
0: one paying their checks or paying their bills. So <laughs> so I guess kind of transitioning over to, we talked about the importance of posting and the credibility and being transparent and all the things, but... All that also needs to be in tandem with uh, the correct audience. Uh, So what is target audience? How do you identify it and why is it important?
1: Yeah, great question. So a target audience, when you boil it all down, is just the the people that you're trying to connect with. So oftentimes as we're doing annual planning or as we're doing campaign planning or as we're thinking through goals that you've maybe set for us or goals that we think you can accomplish, we're looking at primary and secondary audiences. So your primary audience might be current customers and potential customers. And then as a secondary audience, you might want to also engage with your community members and media. So and those can all shift. And I think the beauty of dealer marketing or channel marketing is that you guys often know your key audience is better than we do. Um, you understand, you know, you have Joe who comes in and maybe Joe has five acres and he has different needs than Bob who has, 10,000 acres. And even when we talk different areas and geographies, you know, we're up here in the Northland and right now snows a huge thing. So what our growers are doing is a heck of a lot different than what growers down in Georgia are doing. So you're able to provide some of those insights for us and then once we have that, we're able to really build out who Joe and Bob are. And once you start putting it into those terms and we have those conversations, if we start talking about Joe, you're going to say, "Well, Joe doesn't care about some of this equipment or Joe doesn't care about this. Joe wants to make sure that if he needs this part or this routine maintenance, we're going to have it quickly because Joe's only working on the weekend. Joe has a full time job. So with these target audiences, as you build out these personas, it really puts a lot of context around what kind of content these folks need and what they're going to connect with.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong, but basically what you just described with Joe and Bob is uh, buyer personas more or less, right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So as you kind of drill down, you're getting there.
0: Yeah. As, yeah. So would you both talk on that to just a little bit more like what is a buyer persona? And then I know we use it a lot internally here at Flint, but is there any use for a, a dealer to kind of step back and develop their own buyers personas? And then for PR and social to play to those strengths, to those specific personas?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So buyer personas are really taking those key audiences and then segmenting them down a bit more so that you have more context and more info about who they are when you boil it all down. And there are a lot of fancy terms that we could put to that. But at the end of the day, that's what we're looking at as you develop those. Yes, it's. It's helpful for marketing, but it also helps you anticipate needs. So, we talk a lot about seasonality in this industry. So, how are we gearing up, ramping up for different seasons um, where dealers have the opportunity to kind of anticipate needs because they have a really good grasp on kind of the four key areas or five key people who are coming to the dealership? It doesn't have to be just for marketing.
2: Yeah, and I think too looking at those personas, we also take a look at what are their consumption habits. So do they take their media in with the local newspaper? Do they are they on social media? Where on social media are they? Are they on Facebook? Are they on TikTok? Are they on YouTube? Do they fix their own equipment? Do they fix it? Watching YouTube videos, do they fix it? You know, that type of thing. So we're also really boiling it down, like Madison said, to those types of types of things that they're doing and how they're consuming their media. And then we're really able to target them with our strategy on marketing, social media, those types of things to really um, hit them where they really are looking at all the different things.
1: And content creation. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we're up here. It's cold. Nothing's getting put in or taken out of the ground anytime soon. But can we have a video that goes out on our social channels that makes us the expert talking about how to winterize a piece of equipment? Those types of things help us anticipate the needs. And when you have those buyer personas, it allows you to to do that in a different way.
0: So right now we're kind of living in the world where there's an app for that, or there's an app for everything. Uh, would you guys? Either of you be able to talk on um, what are some social strategy tools that the dealers can easily utilize, um, whether it be like a content calendar or I guess fill in the blank with whatever comes to your guys's mind that could be helpful for dealers to start utilizing at the dealership.
2: Yeah, definitely. So one thing we know of that as a dealer that you guys are wearing a lot of different hats. And so social media probably isn't your number one priority. Um, and that's where we do some things here at Flint to kind of help you out and be able to really promote your brand in different ways. Um, we do the SMP social media calendar, where we do some posts that are able to go out on your social platforms that are kind of specific to the massey brand the fent brand different things like that but those are just kind of fillers so those are things that we recommend going out you know i think we have a few posts a month but we would also recommend for you to do more local strategy things like so if you are doing some things in your community if you are sponsoring local events things like that going and snapping a photo like we said on your cell phone posting those in your social channels those are things that are really important to make sure that you're connecting with your local audiences Content calendars are really important because we find that a lot of people just forget quite honestly, to post on social media. And so if you have a plan, you're able to make sure that you're actually executing that plan. So whether you put it in an Excel doc and, you know, plan your posts out that way with your copy, with your photos, things like that, that's something that's really useful. If you have a scheduling tool, um, you know, we use Sprout Social here at Flint, which is a great tool. I know Meta has some scheduling tools that you can use through them as well. Those are things that you can use. We also recommend just, you know, making sure that you're going in and like I said, going in with the plan so that you make sure that you're actually executing on it and setting yourself up for success.
0: So when a dealer is going in with a plan and we talked about posting more frequently or more regularly, because that really helps with uh, engagement, etc. Do you think that there's a certain balancing act or line between what's informative, entertaining and promotional content? I know each social media platform kind of has a different algorithm with what works best for what. Is it important or does it matter? Or is the key just posting regularly?
2: Yeah. So right now, so it changes pretty often. Uh, right now, what we're seeing is three to four times a week uh, on meta platforms. So Facebook and Instagram um, is about what you'll want to. That's kind of the sweet spot. Um, and then Anything else you want to really utilize are stories. So if you have more things that you want to post, just utilize the stories on Instagram, Facebook, things like that. Um, and stories are really nice too because you can use links. So you can always link back to your website, um, you know, or link to a sales page or whatever it may be. You want to be really strategic about when you use links on feed posts because you want to be about 80% organic content and then 20% sales or promotional. So you never want your feed to feel overly salesy or promotional. And that's where when we have the SMP content that the calendars that we kind of put together here at Flint, we want to make sure that you are supplementing your local content there too, so that it doesn't feel overly promotional because it can feel a little bit salesy if you're not supplementing with your own content there as well.
0: It's kind of like building blocks or it's a good stepping stone, but you don't want it to solely rely on that. You want to have much more content that is more all-encompassing.
2: Exactly. Yep. So the 80-20 is is where we recommend.
1: And don't hesitate to go find brands that you think are doing a good job and Mm -hmm. then kind of emulate. So if you have a brand that you're like, I love following this social page because of, you know, they give me helpful advice or I'm finding out things that I didn't know, kind of look at that and take inspiration from there as well.
2: Yeah, they say very few ideas now are original ideas. A lot of people just build on other people's ideas and make them a little bit better.
0: Yeah,
1: definitely. I'm wondering, what are some of the dealers that you're seeing doing social well right now? And maybe not you don't necessarily need to call out any names but maybe there are things that they're doing that you think are really successful
0: i would say and i'm sure chelsea can also agree or speak to this but one dealer that really comes to mind is redlin i feel like they're one that we kind of always use as our shining example with their creative posts they've kind of always taken it the extra mile and not only the consistency of what they're posting but also the, the quality of the content and the interaction with working in video, et cetera, and it's not just the one static image.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think video can be really intimidating for some people. I know we have spoken, I think we have a couple of webinars about mm-hmm. um, speaking, I think I spoke on them um, video specifically. It can be really intimidating, but it doesn't have to be. So I think even I think Redland does an incredible job, but I think you can go out even with your phone, take some different clips, start small, download CapCut onto your computer or Canva, things like that. They have really great AI tools now where you can the clips into there and it'll actually just put put a video together for you or it makes it really easy for you to put the clips into there and then put music over it and then splice it together so makes it super simple for you to put those together but take a look at their content or take a look like madison said at different brands that you like and it doesn't have to be a, a tractor brand it can be any brand that you like any brand that you follow you like their vibe you like kind of the way that their feed looks look at those types of things and see how you can glean from them to make it your own and and make it look like your brand. So I think those are really big things that the more that you can do and the more that you can kind of tackle, the, the better your brand's going to be.
1: I'd love to give a call out to the tools that you just referenced. Um, there are free versions of those mm-hmm. tools. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You can take what's on your phone and and put together something that is polished enough, I'm going to say, for mm-hmm. social media. You maybe don't want to use it for a commercial. There are different functions for that, but there are, there are definitely things that you can do for very little cost.
2: Mm-hmm. Or even doing, you know, a selfie video. So if you have a specialist, a sales specialist going out and standing by a piece of equipment and talking about one specific feature on that piece of equipment and how you know important it is to the user. Something like that, a 30 second snippet. Those are the things that perform really well on social. You don't want the overly produced content like Madison said. Those are things that you want to go out on organic social.
0: So since I'm talking with some social media specialists right now, I know it kind of deviates kind of what we're talking about a little bit, but I feel like it'd be a good uh, chance to ask it. A lot of dealers have been asking about uh, TikTok and the trend of having TikTok. Are you guys able to maybe either squash or promote, like, is it worthwhile for dealers to be hopping on TikTok or should they be sticking to more of the traditional meta Facebook, Instagram, or should they be venturing into the TikTok world?
1: This is a couple part answer for me. Mm-hmm. TikTok's great. I'm not going to tell anyone it's not great. I think as we think about target audiences, we're seeing a shift for a lot of these farm operations from maybe dad and grandpa making buying decisions to now sons and cousins um, making buying decisions. So we're going to see kind of a shift from an in, in age of who's making your buying decisions. So again, we're talking awareness tactics. TikTok is a great place to utilize as an awareness tactic for some of these younger folks who are going to be stepping into more of a buying role. We have some clients who are doing TikTok really well. I'm going to tell you right now, TikTok's a huge investment. TikTok is a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. Um, you have to stay really up on trends. So if you are coming to me as a dealership who you're like, hey, I'm already kind of stretched thin. I just want to do the things that I'm doing right now. well. TikTok's probably not the right solution for you. If you have someone at your dealership who has an interest in it and would populate content at least once a day and you want them spending time doing that, that's the other piece of this. There's definitely a market for it and you're going to see other manufacturing brands doing it and having a lot of success is the juice worth the squeeze. I don't know how many tractors you're going to sell from a TikTok video, to be completely honest.
0: No, I think that I think you n- hit the nail on the head. That's ex- kind of exactly what I was hoping you guys would say, because that that was definitely my opinion. But you guys are obviously the experts in it. I think uh, TikTok is is tricky because um, people who are on it, they'll often see like these random videos have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views or likes. And the algorithm is so specific and so tricky that even if you're not posting regularly you might have the one hidden gem but like the key thing that you said is posting like once a day like it's not facebook instagram it's not two three times a week like you almost have to do it daily to get that consistent payoff it's not the here and there and you might accidentally stumble on to something that's catchy and or trendy in the moment
1: and it's not i'm gonna make a hundred videos in one day and then i'm just gonna post them for the next hundred days TikTok doesn't favor that. You got to be jumping on trending sounds, on different things, hashtags, whatnot, times to post, all of those things that impact your success on the platform. And it's too real time to really plan. I mean, Chelsea, you can add to this, but even like for us internally, we're probably dealing with TikTok on maybe a two or three day window when we're doing it for clients, which is a huge lift.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, to be honest, you'd be better off, you know, Jumping on YouTube Shorts or and then Instagram and and Facebook Reels, so that's that's where I think time would be better spent. I think you can also take you know YouTube videos, if you have the long form, if you have um, ones from the past, things like that. Taking those and even splicing them into shorter clips and doing things like that, I think that, those would be um, a better use of time as well.
0: So the key might be more of perfecting your other platforms or your other. I guess, marketing tactics. And then if you, for some reason, still have time or the energy or the bandwidth, then you can maybe start hopping on the, the TikTok and yeah, go from there. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: yeah. Not biting off more than you can chew. Exactly, I think. Yep. yeah, Perfecting what you have. Exactly.
1: And I think whether we like it or not, Facebook is still the number one credibility check. Mm-hmm. So... As long as we talked a little bit about, you know, making sure that you're planning social content, you don't want someone to go to your page and go, man, these guys haven't posted in six months. I Mm -hmm. wonder if they're still open. I wonder if these hours are right. Is the phone number right? Mm -hmm. Um, So making sure, again, that you're doing those things well.
2: I think that's a good thing too. Making sure that you're, um, this is kind of going on a tangent, but like Madison said, updating those types of things, uh, making sure that your Google My Business is updated with your hours, things like that. Making sure that people know that you are credible, updated, um, your hours are correct, those types of things. People know how to get contact you. Your phone number is updated. Making it easy for people to Google you and know how to get a hold of you.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, one thing I want to touch on is engagement, and this is kind of a twofold question, I guess. Engagement in terms of what does it mean to have engaging social media presence, but then also utilizing comments, polls, and then kind of engaging with your your followers?
1: So this is so
0: You can do it as high level <laughs> as you want. Like you don't have to get too in the weeds.
1: Um I'm gonna start here, Chelsea, but then just jump in where you feel necessary. Okay. Um so when we talk social analytics, social metrics that we're watching, we've really seen a shift for a long time everyone looked at impressions. And I think there's still a group of folks who are still looking at impressions and and that that measurement matters. However, we've really seen a shift in the industry that we're looking at engagements or an engagement rate because that shows that the content that you're putting out isn't just going into an echo chamber, right? Like we don't want to be a megaphone. We want to have a conversation and there's a difference in those two efforts. So when you talk about an engaged social presence, go back and look at what your top post was that was engaged with. Look at engagement rates on your posts and and see what's performing well and then build content from there. So if you put out something that's trend based and it gets great engagement, well then yeah, we should probably build on that, right? So it's more about I think in marketing, we get so used to looking forward, which is great, right? Like we're always planning for the next thing that sometimes we forget to look in the rearview mirror. And that gives us a lot of information and tells a really good story.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think looking specifically at engagement rate, when you're looking at those types of things, it shows that what you're posting is really resonating with your audience and that they're looking at what you're doing in their engaging with it so they're liking it they're sharing it they're commenting on it they're clicking on it you know if there's a link they're clicking on the link and they're going to your website that you're driving traffic to wherever you're trying to drive it to so those types of things are what's really important um like madison said impressions are important of course because you're getting eyeballs on your on your content but engagements is what's really gonna let you know that what you're doing is is working
0: sounds good so where do you guys see both social media and pr looking like in the next year plus
2: from my standpoint. So I think social media is just going to continue to grow. It's a really great way for, like I said, brands and people and influencers to connect with customers and people on a different level. I think It's just a platform. It gives people a platform to connect on a different level. So I think influencers are going to continue to grow, especially in this type of industry. And it doesn't need to be like a celebrity or a, you know, somebody with a huge name like a Luke Bryan or something like that. It can be as simple as a local farmer that sponsors people at the local fair or something like that, who buys a tractor from your dealership, who does a little selfie video, who talks about how much he loves your dealership and how easy it was to purchase a tractor or to get maintenance or whatever it is from your dealership. So something like that, doing a little testimonial, things like that are going to be really huge for your dealership. It doesn't need to have a huge dollar amount behind it. It doesn't need to be a huge, a big production or anything like that. But I think The use of influencers are going to continue to grow. And I think we're going to see more and more um, opportunities for video content where people are going to continue to really capitalize on that. And we're going to get more and more engagement on uh, social media for that.
1: I 100 percent agree on the influencer thing. I think the use of micro and nano influencers is only going to continue to grow we appreciate those influencers as consumers because they're really authentic and they're really genuine and you don't have to worry if it's just because they're getting paid a million dollars per post to post which is really fun to see in addition to that on the social media side i think video as consumers we like video more and more i think about me anytime i have a question i no longer google it i go to tiktok and want someone to tell me about it or show me so thinking through that lens. And then I think from a PR standpoint, and this is maybe more of a lookout than um, a trend, but we're moving into a really crazy news cycle with the 2024 election and the Olympics. And there's going to be a lot going on between really now and the end of the year. So being thoughtful about when you are executing on your PR efforts, you don't want to just go off of what would typically work. You want to make sure that you're thinking about uh, those things and what's coming um, in the news whether it be locally nationally internationally whatever
0: that is awesome well I just want to take the time to thank both of you guys for well, taking time out of your day to sit with me and chat about some of your guys's um, expertise on PR and both social strategy so again just thank you and hopefully it wasn't as uh, as painful as you thought it was going to be sitting here and chatting <laughs> with me for the last hour or so
2: always good to chat yeah thanks Blake